we are permitting ourselves, as we learned the Tanya this time around, not to rush. And we're all enjoying it very, very much, including and especially myself. We don't have this pressure of doing a week's worth of material in a week. We go at our own pace. And I've also permitted myself to incorporate into the discussion ideas that are not actually written explicitly in the Tanya, but are found in other places in Hasidus that relate to the discussions of the Tanya. And I've sort of developed a certain sense of how I wish to proceed with the next several classes. The last two weeks, we had two conversations. Two weeks ago, we talked about the godly soul. And last week, we talked about what the godly soul does, Judaism, mitzvahs. If you can remember the class of two weeks ago, we, we structured the class in three parts. The idea that the godly soul has what we call an essence, and a form, and an expression. The essence of the godly soul is proverbially, for lack of words, the infinity of the godly soul, the plainness of the godly soul. The form of the godly soul is the, is the personality, the mind and the heart, the intelligence and the emotions. And the expressions of the godly soul are we call the garments. The garments of expression are thought, speech, and deed. Thought is the way man communicates with himself. Speech is the way man communicates with other people. And action is the way man communicates with beings different than himself, less or more than himself. This is what we talked about two weeks ago. Last week we discussed Yiddishkeit, why a Jew needs Judaism even though his soul is already godly. Over the next two weeks I want to repeat the same performance, but talking about the animal soul. That's my intent. So we're going to discuss tonight with Hashem's help the animal soul. And next week we're going to talk about what the animal soul is busy with. And I've, when I decided to do this, I knew that I had to do a lot of research because the Tanya, officially the Tanya is supposed to give everybody equal time. There's a godly soul and an animal soul. It talks about both. But to the Altarab, equal time means 95% of the time to the godly soul and 5% with an excuse me and an explanation to the animal soul, that's somehow fair. So the Tanya's discussion of the animal soul is quite vague. It's very, very concise, very brief. So I've developed the corollary, the equal and opposite of the class of two weeks ago. Much of the information I'm going to share with you is not in the Tanya, it's in Hasidus. I spent a lot of time this afternoon researching. And I, I hope you'll appreciate how it's equal and opposite. And um, I also hope the information will be communicated in a constructive way, in a healthy way. We start with the essence of the animal soul, in quotes. Just like the godly soul has an essence and a form and an expression, the animal soul also has an essence and a form and an expression. The Hebrew word for essence is etzim, ayin tzadik mem. Ayin Tzadik Mem means essence. Now, to be sure, nobody has any idea what etza means. And by the same token, nobody has any idea what the word essence means. But that's the good news. Because since nobody knows what it means, we can all use the word and sound intelligent. <laughs> and as long as we don't expose one another, we're all very sophisticated. I hate that. <laughs> I, I don't like this idea of people just skimming over the surface of things and, so to speak, collectively agreeing to, you know, to accept ignorance as a, as a status. So I want to give you a simple translation of the word etzim, which is very, very useful. 
And that is that the meaning of the word etzem, which is translated in the convention as essence, means anything in its relationship with itself. That's all. Etzem means you in relationship with yourself, as opposed to your relation, you in your relationship with others. That's the translation of the word etzem. Etzem does mean the essence of something. It means the core of something. But So how do you define? Where does the core end? And where does the form or the expression begin? The answer is, the essence of anything, and we're talking in this case the essence of a soul, of a living, aware human soul, of an intelligent soul. The essence of that being, the essence of that soul is it in its relationship with itself. That's all. And I explained this to you at length two weeks ago. If, if, if you meet a person and uh, you tell that person, you know, I want to buy that car that's missing a tire and the left door is smashed in and it's got scars all over itself. I want to buy that car. You say, why would you want to buy that car? It looks so disfigured and secondhand and not very useful. Well, I just have an essence desire for that car. My essence desires that car. You will be labeled crazy. <laughs> and you may in fact be crazy. But... That's what the essence means. The essence means what I want or need on a level that I cannot communicate it. This is just who I am. On the level of the essence, reason doesn't begin. Not reason doesn't end. Reason doesn't begin. Explanations for things are necessary in a rational world, in an interactive world. In essence, we don't have to explain anything. In essence, we don't have to put things in any particular place. In essence, I desire this. That's a sufficient explanation. Why do I desire this? Because this is the tendency, this is the leaning of my essence. It's literally that simple. That's the concept of an essence. By Hashem, we talk about God. In Hasidus and Kabbalah, and the Ramam discussed this also, also, there's this notion of God's will on the level of His essence. I've shared this point with you in, in the past where the Rambam asks this question. Can you understand why God created the world? That's the question. Can you understand why God created the world? And the Rambam says something very, very profound and typical of Rambam, so simple. The Rambam asks, can you explain why God does what He does? So the Rambam says, I can explain, or it can be explained, absolutely everything that God does if... You can accept the first will of God on faith. If the most basic desire of Hashem can be accepted on faith, all the secondary and tertiary desires can be explained. But the first want of God can't be explained just as God Himself is inexplicable. The first, the deepest want of God is an expression of His essence. What does that word mean? Of Him and His relationship with itself, by Himself, by definition. It defies interpretation. It's a truth. Truth, I don't mean a rational truth or emotional truth, an absolute truth. And in context, it means it's just a fact. You don't have to like it. You don't have to agree with it. It doesn't have to sit well with you. It's a reality. It's a uvda. It's a metzies. It's a fact. So the Ramam says, if you can accept the fundamental want of God on faith, all the other wants are justified and explained within the framework of that initial want. But if you insist on explaining the first will of God, you're stuck because it doesn't make any sense because it's an essence. And the same is true of human beings. A human being has an essence. 
the essence of a human being is that human being is he or she exists in relationship with himself. Even if we would be in touch with our essence, which is a very big debatable. Am I in touch with my essence? Are you in touch with your essence? But even if it were to be true that I'm in touch with my essence and I know at the level of my core, level of my essence, what's real, what's important, what I desire, it can't be explained to anybody. It cannot even be explained to myself. It just is. So let's say for the sake of argument, I got in touch with my essence, in quotes. And I knew what I need, what I desire on an essence level. And then, I don't want to look like an idiot. I don't want to look like a crazy person. So I come up with explanations. The reason I want this is such and such and such and such and such and such. There would be lies. There would be justifications. There'd be explanations. But the explanations would never, in fact, support the want. Because the want is an essence. It's a truth. The rationalizations and the explanations are trying to decorate something which is not subject to being decorated. It's an absolute fact. It's an absolute truth. In other words, the core of every human being is a fact. <coughs> and the tendencies, I'll get you, the expressions of that absolute truth are as unreasonable, as super-rational, as inexplicable as the essence itself. That's the meaning of the word essence. Now, but we constantly come up... By the way, a great example of that is mitzvahs. We talked about this last week. God wants us to do tefillin. How many explanations are there for tefillin? Half a dozen. How many explanations are there for kosher? Who knows how many? And the same is true in the vast majority of mitzvahs. The fact of the matter is, mitzvahs are God's will. All the rationalizations do not add up to the mitzvah because they're excuses. They're not the real reason. Why does God want us to put on film the only correct answer to that question is because this is what He wants. The explanations appeal to different levels of our consciousness, our intelligence, our emotion, our, our uh, tendencies towards concerning ourselves with other people, whatever issues they are. But they're never the truth. The truth of a mitzvah is... Something that's an essence, it's an expression of the truth of God's God's real will, and therefore can't be explained. Go ahead. Sometimes we want something, and there is a rational reason that we want it, and it's not coming from a deep essence level. So what's that's most of the time. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's so life. When you speak about essence, it's, it's talking about much more spiritual uh, things that we're trying to reach. I don't know if I'm going to use the word spiritual, because spiritual can also be very peripheral. Core. Core. Things that matter to our very core. They don't necessarily have to be spiritual. They have to be the kinds of things that because of our tendency, because of our nature, touch us that deeply. Come from such a deeper place. But something physical, you can always rationalize. I, not necessarily. You know what I mean? I want that red convertible. Right. Whatever. Why right. do I want it? I love red. Whatever. And why do you love red? So you're saying that if you keep going, why, 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 you're going to come to that you can't even answer why. Uh, not necessarily. There are things that come from our core, and there are things that come from our periphery. The only thing I'm saying is that it, the, the word spirituality is not... Spirituality is very, very, very overrated. <laughs> um, commitment and hard work and responsibility and loyalty right. and consistency and discipline... <clears throat> Uh, you know, they get second fiddle to spirituality because 
I, I'm just objecting to the word spiritual. They're not spiritual, they're core. Core means they go to your essence. Not everything you encounter in your life goes to your essence. Some things do and some things don't. Some people watch another person suffer and they get sick. Because their tendency is, their nature is, that this touches them very deeply. Other people don't react the same way. They're just not the same people. So why do we have to know about this essence? Oh well, that'll stick around. <laughs> so now, two weeks ago, I talked to you about the essence of the godly soul, in quotes. And I label the essence of the godly soul with the Hebrew word pnimi. Pnimi means the tendency of the godly soul to be loyal and to be committed to a specific thing. And I even added to that discussion the tendency of the godly soul to want to come down, not coil, recoil into itself. And I linked it also to free will. I have no intentions of repeating last week's class. So I want to give a label to the essence of the animal soul as the foundation, as the basis of tonight's class. We're going to discuss the animal soul in its essence, in quotes, in its form and its expression. The essence of the animal soul is that he or she is a tivi. Tivi, teva, tes, beis, ayin, yud, has a nature. The essence of the animal soul is a natural thing. It has a certain nature. There's a very big difference between the word we used two weeks ago, primi, and the word tivi that we're employing today, because we're talking about different souls that have very different essences. And, but this is the word that we're going to focus on as we pursue this class. The essence of the animal soul is a teva, is a core nature. You have to understand something about the animal soul. The animal soul's very reality is a paradox. It's a contradiction. Because the truth of everything is God. The consciousness of the animal is self. There's a conflict here. It's either about God or it's about me. It can't be about both. On a core level, on a practical level, it, it is about both. But on, a core, on an essence level, it's either about God or it's about me. The animal soul's core is me, self. And the energy and the life and the light of the animal soul, the truth of the animal soul, comes from God. God creates a being that doesn't define itself by God. That's what we call, in Kabbalistic form, klipa. What's a klipa? Klipa means a peel, a shell, a periphery, that covers over an essence, a light. The light is godly. If that godly light were not there, that being would not function, it would not exist. Everything has to have the spark of God within inside of itself. And it, so the, the very nature of the animal soul is a contradiction. Because its reality as an animal is the exact opposite of God. And the whole real, the reason the animal soul exists is because God makes it exist. Therefore, there's this concept of klipa. The animal soul is a living lie. That's what it is. It's a reality that insists the center of the universe is me, the axis of all time and space is myself, everything serves my purposes, and it is being sustained, it gets its energy from Hashem, from God. How does it preserve its animalism? By suppressing, by covering over that godly spark. If Klippa would allow godliness to emerge, it would cease to exist. 
in order for klipa to exist, which means to say, in order for self-centricity to exist, at the expense of God-centricity, you have to suppress God. Although the truth of everything that exists, including self-centric beings, is God. That's what the word klipa means. It's a peel that's covering over a core. That's what the animal soul is. The animal soul is a nature. It's a shell. It's an exoskeleton. It's a hard shell that covers over the spark of Hashem. And it covers over the spark of Hashem in such a way that it fixes the animal soul into a certain nature. And this nature that fixes the animal soul defines it as an animal. If it did not have a fixed nature, it had a flexible nature, a variable nature, it wouldn't be animal. It would be human. Or it would be godly. Or in the form of two weeks ago's class, it would have that pimi tendency we talked about two weeks ago. But now we're dealing with the animal soul. And the animal soul's essence is a teva, is a nature. And this nature of the animal soul is maintained by suppressing, by not permitting the godly spark inside of itself to emerge. Now I want to explain the word nature to you as it's discussed in Hasidus. How does Hasidus interpret the word teva, nature, and natural? So there's a quite an interesting insight that's brought to indicate this, to enlighten this. The word teva, Hebrew word teva, has three similes. The first is the word matbeah. Matbeah means a coin. But in our purpose, in our discussion, matbeah doesn't mean a coin, it means the mint. The source of coins. Like Yavim Chazal, matbeah is the mint. Secondly, the word teva connotes tviya, to be immersed, to be sunk in. Like we have in this week's Pasha, the Egyptians drown in the sea, the Hebrew word for drowning is tviya, to be completely immersed in something. Covered over your head with something. And finally, the word teva means nature. So Hasidus explains, based on it, interestingly enough, that the word teva, a natural phenomenon, means something that's fixed. It's like it goes along an assembly line, Hashem stamps it with a certain nature, and it's stuck in that nature. It can't, go, it can't step outside of that nature. That nature might be very deep. We're talking about the essence now. And an essence is infinite, relatively speaking. It's a very powerful nature. But it's a constant, it's a fixed nature. And the notion of being stuck in this fixed nature is reflecting the idea that you're immersed in a certain world. You're so completely sunk in a certain reality, you can't get out of it. And this is the core, the essence of the animal soul. The animal soul has a nature. The nature of the animal soul defines it and limits it. So here you have something, an essence... An essence means you cannot rationalize it. You can't explain it intellectually. You cannot say, why does the essence of the animal soul desire this? Why does the essence of the animal soul desire that? And the answer is, this is its nature. In essence, on an etzem level, on an essence level, the animal soul has certain tendencies. It cannot defy, it cannot violate, it cannot break that core. It cannot break that shell, that essence. The teva. Not all animal souls are alike. But every animal soul, every single one of us has an animal tendency, an animal soul. At its core, the animal soul has a fixed nature. For example, 
some animal souls will have, let's say, a tendency towards um, openness. In Kabbalah, you would call it chesed, kindness. An animal soul that has a tendency towards openness would have a few characteristics. A, he's generous, not that calculated, not that measured, not that judging, but has a very, very hard time with discipline and concentration and studiousness. Another animal soul may have a different tendency at its core. A gavura tendency. An animal soul that has a gavura tendency is very studious, very exact, very responsible, but very, very frugal. That means cheap in English. Not generous. None of this reflects real free will. It's the nature of the being. And the essence of the animal soul, the Hebrew word that we're employing to define the essence of the animal soul is teva. Tiv'i. At its very core, there is a core stamp of tendencies, a whole series of characteristics that come from the essence of each animal soul and it defines the animal. There are billions of people on the planet. Every single person, and of course every single Jew, has an animal soul. And this animal soul, in its essence, has a nature. From that nature will radiate all kinds of things. Some of them will make that person's expression very positive. Some of those things will make that person's expression very negative, but they're fixed. You cannot, at least for the most part, violate the basic nature of who you are. And the reality is there is no such thing as a nature that's entirely evil. There's no such thing as a nature that's entirely good because it's nature. It's animal. I'm not creating it. I am not choosing it. I am not modifying it. It's me on my core level. So let's say you meet a person who's naturally very, very responsible and calculated, but very, very cheap. And you'll say to this person, why don't you want to give and they'll give you a rationalization, they'll give you an explanation for why they don't want to give tzedakah. It's an excuse. It's a decoration. The truth is that it's an expression of their essence, of their teva, of their core. If a person is very, very frivolous and free and makes jokes and very generous, you say, why are you such a nice guy? I don't know, I'm a nice guy, right? The answer is ultimately this is their teva, this is their nature. And in as much as the animal is an animal, in other words, in as much as the essence of the animal soul is fixed in that teva, is fixed in that nature, we're not free. There's a lot of room for maneuverability. Understand that an essence is something very deep. An essence is a metaphor for infinity. But this is an infinity with a fixed definition, with a limiting definition, with an, almost an imprisoning definition. Within that framework, there's all kinds of possibilities. Some people use their nature to become great intellectuals. Some people use their nature to become very kind and charitous. And some people use their nature to be silly. And of course, nobody says, it's my nature. Everybody has rationalizations and explanations, explanations and stories and excuses. And that's what they are. Nobody comes along and says, why am I generous? This is my nature. There's a reason. I like the cause. <laughs> and I think they're doing good work. Right? And I want to be a partner. Those are rationalizations. Those are explanations. Those are rational 
their, their form of the soul rather than essence of the soul. The essence of the soul is a teva. And keep in mind that this is in stark contrast. This is very different from the essence of the godly soul that we define by the word panimi. It's loyalty and it's commitment and so forth and so on. Now having established this foundation that the essence of the animal soul is an essence nature which is for the most part inescapable from a, from a perspective of animal in other words from a point of view animal soul you want to maximize your animal soul you want to use it for as much good as possible considering the fact that you can't change it right? which means to say if your nature is to be good you want to use it if your nature is to be studious you want to use it you want to maximize the possibilities of your nature knowing that you're trapped within it but you see when you have a godly soul as well that godly soul doesn't have that shell, doesn't have that limitation, it has real freedom. And the Hasidus teaches that it becomes your duty to use your, the freedom that the godly soul has to denature the animal soul. Or at least to push yourself past the limitations of the animal soul. But in as much as the animal soul is an animal, as much as the animal soul is a TV, is, na- is natural, in its core... These are the limitations of the person. On a core level. The fundamental definition of a human being. On a very, very core level. And from this radiate a number of very important points which will all be equal and opposite. The exact opposite of the discussion from two Mondays ago. Number one. There is no real free will. Two weeks ago when we talked about the essence of the godly soul and made the point that the essence of the godly soul is free. And if you recall, I discussed with you the essence of the godly soul's freedom, it gets from the fact that God himself is free. Because we're like Hashem's children. We come from him, and like every parent gives his child, the greatest gift parents give their children is their independence from themselves. Hashem has given us freedom, which is the, which is the most godly truth. That's what free will is, is. The animal soul, because at its core it's a tiv e. It has a series of characteristics in nature. It doesn't have real free will. Now, there's a lot of room to make choices. The rational mind can analyze various different things and entertain a variety of different possibilities and make what seems like an objective judgment. But because the core is fixed, the judgments and the objectivity are fixed accordingly. And it's not real objectivity. It's not to use a cliche, true open-mindedness. There's a certain limitation into the, how this person at his core operates. So when he employs his mind to judge variables, choices, options, possibilities, to make what is viewed as a choice, there are choices within the fixed parameters of the nature which cannot be exceeded and they cannot be violated. So there's free will to a degree. Free will within certain uh, limitations. Number two, and this is an interesting one. When the essence of the animal soul is aroused, there's an enormous amount of urgency. When the essence of the animal soul is aroused, there's an enormous amount of urgency. Right? In other words, when your animal soul takes up a cause, whatever that cause is, when your nature takes up a cause, it's committed. And its commitment is very, very powerful. Powerful means to say, when I make a commitment to something, I'm willing to fight all kinds of obstacles. I'm willing to do things which may not be rational, may be super rational, because the nature of my commitment 
comes from the nature of my essence, which is a tremendous amount of urgency. But I have more than one cause. Today I want this. In six months from today, I forget about this cause, I have a new cause. In other words, the, the commitment can be very powerful, but because the commitment is not coming from a real place of choice, it's coming from a nature, which is not a choice, it's not me. It's, it, it's what I was made to be. So today, that essence expresses a want, and because it's a want, it's a very, very strong desire towards something, and I'll forget about it. I'll get over it. Time will pass, and I'll move on to a different want. Obviously, I can't want everything because my nature limits what I can desire, but within the framework of, what, of the possibilities of what I can want, today I can be committed to one thing, and tomorrow I can commit to something else entirely. According to Hasidus, this is one of the things that separates the godly soul from the animal soul. The godly soul that is free has one want. And there's, there's irony here. If it has only one want, it's like sort of very boring, very vanilla. But the one want that it has is its connection to Hashem. Because it has that, the freedom, it's not restrained in a shell that limits its expression. It's truly free. It's truly undefined. And therefore it has a singular commitment to Hashem, which in an ironic way, in a contradictory way, is also an expression of its own choice. The animal soul, because at its core it's fixed in a certain nature, when it wants something, it wants it with tremendous urgency, a super rational urgency, but he forgets. Time passes. And when enough time passes and he's forgotten, that nature can express another urgency, another want, in a completely different area. Because it's not really defining who they are. It's their nature. So today I can want one thing, and in six months from today or a year from today, I'll want something different. I can't really want two things at the same time. Because it's not rational. If it's reasonable, I can have space in my head for two things. It's an urge. An urge that comes from the, from the essence. There's that word again. And urges that come from the essence express all of the essence. Like I said to you before, the first desire of any being cannot be explained because the first desire of any being is the being itself. The animal soul has that truth as well. The first desire of the animal soul is the essence of the animal soul. But the essence of the animal soul is a, is a, is a, is a shell. is a fixed set of rules that somebody else created. So right now I'm all excited about this thing. And so long as I'm excited about this thing, I can't entertain any other possibilities. But as they say in English, you can get over it. Not get over it by being negotiated out of it. Not getting over it by rationalizing it away. Getting over it by just letting the will subside. It just stops. And when it's gone, I can desire something else. Because the desire is not a free desire. It's a desire that's coming from a nature. And finally, and this is a very sensitive and subtle point, the third characteristic of this nature, the core, the essence of the animal soul, is that it doesn't fully utilize the possibility of the human body. The human body is designed by God to have perfect balance. Every possibility. Because the human body is created in the image of God. Which means it has every very possibility. And I just want to advertise now, this is going to be the discussion, not of next week, but the week after, two Mondays from today, Mitzvah Shem, I intend to discuss that. Man, ban, tikkun and tayo, special for you. Make sure you're not in Florida, <laughs> for more reasons than one. And make sure you're here. That means your father has to have it for Shleimah. 
taken care of. Moshe ben Riva is very determined in the heavens and on earth. We all agree. Um, the body has every possibility. The body tolerates every imaginable expression. The animal soul has a nature, has a core that's fixed. So when the animal soul goes into the body, it's not able to utilize all the possibilities that the body has because the animal soul is fixed in a, a series of tendencies that don't allow for every imaginable, every imaginable possibility. These are some thoughts on the so-called essence of the animal soul. And what I'm trying to do, in plainer words, the body is created in the image of God. Okay? Which means to say that it's, it's like God. It has every possibility. Kindness, severity, generosity, precision. The animal soul is not choosing. The animal soul is ising. It has a certain nature. Every nature is going to have strengths and weaknesses. When you take an animal soul, put it into a body. The body is in the image of God. The animal soul is not. The full possibility of that body is not going to be utilized by that animal soul. Or alternatively, that body will not be allowed to be fully human because it's, in, it's, it's, it's being given life by a soul that doesn't allow for all the possibilities of what human is to be expressed as opposed to the godly soul. The godly soul is also in the image of God. That's what causes the lack of full expression. I don't want to say imbalance, the lack of full expression. Yeah, balance is, is also a credible term because of chasad versus gevuda. The godly soul, because the godly soul is truly in the image of God, it too has every possibility. So it's able to fully fuse, to fully become one with the human body. What I'm trying to do is repeat the class of two weeks ago in reverse. So I'm, I'm sort of keeping a balance of the thoughts that we discussed. Go ahead. So the animal soul doesn't necessarily have bad, it's not a bad, it's, I mean it's not all bad if it has if those It's not bad at all. It's an animal. Does it have anything to do with so everybody, You're making me nervous now. Sorry. <laughs> you got the hint pretty quick, huh? No, no Kabbalah, my friend. No, no. Oh, Go ahead. That's a great question. Is there reward and punishment in the animal soul? And of course, your next question is going to be, someone who doesn't have a godly soul. It's a good question. It's a complicated answer. And uh, I'm not telling you. <laughs> okay. Now, there are a couple of other things I want to say about the essence of the, um, the animal soul. Underneath the essence of the animal soul, there's a spark of God. But the essence of the animal soul has no contact with that spark. It gets its life from that spark, but has no contact. What I mean to say it has no contact, it cannot access the freedom that that essence has. The spark of God is godly, and God is free. God doesn't have a nature. God doesn't have a shell. The, 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 the shell, the teva, the core, that is the essence of the animal soul which is being given life by, a God, life by a godly spark, has absolutely no access to the godly interior, to the essence within the essence of the animal soul. And as a consequence, when an animal soul is created, it has a limit. 
although underneath that limitation there's a peace of God, and God doesn't have any limits, but because it has no way of accessing the God within itself, it has a fundamental limit, it has a real, real limit. And I, I want to articulate the irony within this. I want to articulate the irony within this. Let's talk about the godly soul again. Two weeks ago we talked about the godly soul. And I explained to you that when a godly soul is created, it's limited. When a godly soul enters a human body, it's limited. The body is limited, the soul is correspondingly limited. But the godly soul has access to infinite potential. If you would meet a godly soul, he would look just as restrained, just as contained as an animal soul. But because it's godly, that means to say its limitation is not truly limiting. It's not trapped within it. It can break out of those limitations. <clears throat> when a godly soul needs to, when the circumstances arise, the godly soul accesses powers that defy the, 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 the appearance of limitation. The animal soul does not have that possibility. The animal soul has a teva, has a nature which fixes it. It's stuck in that nature. The godly soul is not. And we explained it using the analog of a child. Children come from their parents. Coming from their parents means to say the very essence of the parent is transmitted to the children. The essence of the parent is given to the essence of the child. What is the, in other words, parents give everything they have to their children. We're not talking about bank accounts. They give their very core, their very essence <laughs> that the kids take. The <laughs> essence of themselves they give to their children. There's no more connected souls than that of a parent and a child. And the irony is, the funny thing about it is, what have parents given their children the freedom of not being like them? The freedom of being different. The essence of parent is the freedom from their parents. They transmit that freedom to their children. And according to Hasidus, we're the children of God. Children of God means he's given us a part of himself. So to speak, God is absolutely free. There's no definition. Doesn't have a teva, doesn't have a nature. He's free. Every possibility is open. Every tendency is available. So God has given us a piece of his essence. In other words, we're extremely connected to God. And what's the expression of this extraordinarily deep connection to God is that we're God-like, we're free. We can make our own choices. The animal soul doesn't have that. So there's, there's, there's an interesting dichotomy about the animal soul. The animal soul is not reflecting God on the one hand. In other words, you could say the animal soul is not serving God. It's serving Hashem. It's serving itself. But by the very same token and for the very same reason, the animal soul is not truly free. What makes the animal soul separate from God actually inhibits the animal soul. It looks like the animal soul says, listen, I don't care about God, I care about me. That's the, that's the appearance. But in reality, the fact that the animal soul doesn't care about God is because the animal soul doesn't have the freedom, doesn't have the option, doesn't have the choice of being connected to Hashem. So the irony is, on the one hand, it appears separate from Hashem, on the other hand, its separateness from Hashem means that it's not truly free. It can't truly do whatever it wishes. It's fixed in a certain nature. This is the animal soul. Every human being has an animal soul, which, which has a mind also. There's a rational dimension to it also. 
But the constant in every animal soul is that it has a fixed teva, a fixed series of natures. The, the fancy word is tiv-e. Tiv-e, tes, beis, ayin, yud. It's, it, it exists in a natural way. And at its very core, at its very, very essence, it's been stamped, it's been sealed with certain characteristics which it cannot defy, it can't step out of, it can't violate. This is the essence of the animal soul. And then we come to the form of the animal soul. And again, the form of the animal soul is equal and opposite of the form of the godly soul. What is the form of the godly soul? The mind and the heart. And if you were here two weeks ago, you recall what I explained to you, the whole function of the mind is to go past itself. The human being is able to separate his mind from his self, his selfish being, and, and, and explore truths. And as I put it to you two weeks ago, the greatest strength of the human mind is its impersonal tendency, its coldness, and the greatest weakness of the, of the, God, of the mind is its impersonal, it's its cold. The greatest strength of the heart, of the emotional person, is its passion. The greatest weakness of the heart is its passion. The mind strength is that it can see things for real, but doesn't really care about them. The heart strength is that it cares about everything, but because it cares, it's so subjective. It can't see things objectively. So the balance of the mind and the heart allows us to find the truth and care about it. But the animal soul's mind and heart are skewed. They're messed up. Because they're a decoration. They're a form over an essence that's fixed. It's not really free. And because the mind and the heart of the animal soul are a wrap around something that's not truly free, so the mind and the heart are not truly functioning as a brain and a heart are meant to function. And the simplest way for me to enlighten this is to describe to you the physical difference between a human being and an animal. And this says in Hasidus. The difference between a human being and an animal is that human beings are vertical. They walk upright, bipedal. And animals are horizontal. They're quadrupedal. And physically the difference is that in the case of a human being, the mind is higher than the heart. And the heart is above the lower third of the person. And in the case of animals, for the most part, the brain and the heart and the rear, the back of the animal are at the same level. And it's explained in Hasidus that the difference between these, these two models physically reflects the spiritual distinctness. The human being's mind, because it's above the heart, isn't trapped by it, isn't held back by it. It can, go, it can fly, it can pursue truths. After it finds the truth, it can communicate them to the heart and get the heart to care about them. The animal's mind, animals may be very, very intelligent, but their intelligence is defined by the heart's interests. Because the brain is not above the heart, even if the animal has the capacity for real intelligence and abstract reasoning, the heart says to the brain, I'm not interested. I can't eat it. It's boring, as they say in teenageville. It doesn't mean anything to me. And what happens as a result is that the brain and the heart don't truly achieve what the brain and heart are meant to achieve. The mind is interested in the truth, but because we're dealing with a mind and a heart that are trapped in a certain nature, the heart says to the mind, we're not interested in this. It's against our nature. This pursuit is unimportant to us. It's not within our tendency. So the Altar Rebbe says, 
that when it comes to the animal soul, because on an essence level, there's a nature, on the conscious level, the essence of the animal soul is the heart. The heart means the selfishness, the subjectivity, what excites me. I use my mind, but I don't use my mind to find the truth. I use my mind to enhance what my heart desires. In other words, instead of the mind being above the heart, the mind is entrapped to the heart. So the form of the animal soul is restrained just as the essence of the animal soul is bound by a nature. And the restraint of the form of the animal soul is that that rational mind is not given the freedom to pursue truth because the heart says, I'm not interested. And the design of the animal soul doesn't provide it with that possibility, that freedom. So the animal soul and the godly soul look exactly the same, but they're entirely different. The godly soul is truly free. And therefore the mind of the godly soul is also truly free to pursue any area of knowledge, truth. Including truths that are not going to give him a nicer house or a prettier car or a better material life, but they're about higher purpose and the highest purpose ultimately. The animal's mind may be equally intelligent, but is not free. The heart entraps the mind because the whole system is skewed. Since on the core level there isn't real freedom, there's a nature. On the expression level, on the form level, there isn't real objectivity. Objectivity is within a certain framework. You can judge things and analyze things and try to find the truth within certain parameters. You can't think outside those parameters. One of the interesting ideas or arguments that Hasidus proposes is to say the animal soul is very, very intelligent but he's interested only in the physical universe. What's beyond the physical universe simply has no meaning to him. The question of where does this come from and why does it exist and what is its purpose (coughs) are non-questions to the animal soul because the subjectivity of the animal soul or the self-centricity of the animal soul affects that that mind can be used to explain so much and to explore so deeply, but only what it has, only what it appeals to its heart, and not the idea that maybe there are truths that don't serve my selfish purposes, but they may be true. The mind of the animal soul does not have that possibility. So because on a core level, there's a shell, there's a teva, on a form level, there is also a, a limitation. And that is, that the animal soul's brain is not truly free. The animal soul's brain is really a slave of the heart. Which is of course the idea that we always say that the human mind has no conscience. You know, if, if you're familiar with, uh, with social sciences and, and social tendencies, there is an assumption that says that more intelligent people are better people, are greater people. Just like some people believe that wealthier people are somehow more honest and more honorable, which is the biggest lie I ever heard. (laughs) So there is this tendency that says that more intelligent people are more capable. More intelligent people um, are better human beings. (coughs) And that if the world were run by the great scientists, the great intellectuals, the world would be a perfect place. It's very, very far from true. Because the mind does not have a conscience... The brain of a person does not have guilt. The brain of a human being does not have a a, a core sense of right and wrong. 
A human being's uniqueness as a species, what separates people from animals is not our intelligence. It's our conscience. Animals don't have conscience. Animals just live, they survive. Conscience means a core sense of right and wrong. A brain does not have a conscience. A person does. Therefore, you can use the human mind to rationalize absolutely anything. Emphasis on the word absolute. I had a student, and this is incredible to me, who wrote her doctoral thesis on explaining rationally what the Nazis did. A Jewish girl. She was obsessed. She had to understand. And she came up with a rationalization, a logical explanation how the Nazis could have done what they did. Incredible. Only a Jew. <laughs> it's quite amazing to me. Yeah. And the reason she was able to do that is because the mind is able to completely disregard what's real. And in the case of the animal soul, that's, that's the issue. The animal soul's mind rationalizes what the heart wants, and not the other way around. The old expression is, first you shoot the arrow, and then you make the bullseye. So you're always hitting everything in the center, because wherever the arrow lands is the center. You can rationalize anything. The function of a human being is not to live in a way where you're explaining things and justifying things and rationalizing. You have to live from a center, from a core. The core is not the mind. The core is the essence of the person. The animal soul's brain is a slave to subjectivity. It's a slave to my point of view. And because it's a slave to subjectivity and it's a slave to my point of view, the mind of the animal soul can explain even things that really don't make any sense because it's a mind. It's smart. It's intelligent. But that's not how the mind should be used. The mind should be used in a, in a truly disconnected way. The Tanya argues, Hasidus argues, that because at the core level the animal soul has a nature, on the form level the mind becomes a servant of the heart rather than mm. the other way around. So this is the essence of the animal soul. And we've talked about the word essence. In essence, right? We've essenced on the essence of the essence of the animal soul, right? I said essence enough times. <laughs> we talked about the form of the animal soul. And now I want to talk about the expression of the animal soul. And the expression of the animal soul essentially <laughs> is thought, speech, and deed. Just like the godly soul. Every time you think a good thought it comes from the godly soul's possibility for thinking. Every time you say appropriate words it comes from the godly soul's ability to speak. And anytime you do a good action it comes from the godly soul's ability to act. The equal opposite is true of the animal soul. The important thing to understand is that these two souls are complete. The godly soul and the animal soul are not only in essence. They're in essence and a form and an expression. So let's say you're davening. In the middle of davening, you talk some gossip and catch up on the Super Bowl. And you go back to davening. You know the famous story about a rabbi who walked over to one of his parishioners at the end of the Shemini essay. He says, welcome back. <laughs> he said, Rabbi, where have I been? He said, you were just in Leipzig. Me and Leipzig have been in the shul all the time. Well, during the davening, you wandered off to Leipzig. Welcome back. <laughs> You understand? When a person's mind and mouth and behavior wanders from good to back to bad and back again, you're changing souls. Every good thought comes from the godly soul. Every neutral or negative thought comes from the animal soul. So you're literally changing souls. 
If you're thinking something and your concentration is interrupted repeatedly, you're bouncing back and forth between two souls, which is an interesting thing to contemplate. And I, I'd like to propose, this is completely imaginary, that this is why people get tired when they don't concentrate as well, because they're shifting, they're bouncing around, like being on a roller coaster. Focus, sticking to one soul, sticking to one thing, it, it, it's, it's, it's smooth, it's streamlined, it's easier. But this is the point, the Alter Rebbe wants to insist that the godly and animal souls are completely self-contained, they're whole entities, including the expressions. When you do a good act, and there's aspects of it that are not good, like selfishness or ego or arrogance, you're literally employing two souls. The good halves, the good portions of it come from the godly soul, the compromised portions of it come from the animal soul. Because the two souls are complete systems, they're whole beings, they're completely self-contained living beings. The animal soul is an animal. You have to define bad before you can decide what animal is. But you said if, it's, if there's a selfishness in your animal soul, is selfishness bad? Is selfishness bad? Speak to any evolutionist. You know why you exist. Because your ancestors were more selfish than the ancestors of those who were eaten. Now, of course, we're not evolutionists. We believe in a creator. We even believe in divine providence. But selfishness is a context. Right? We're all selfish. Right, right. but let's say it's a bad selfish. In There's words. no such thing as a good or bad selfish. <laughs> selfish is selfish. In the mystical model, not in the common sense model, not in the psychological model, in the mystical, the opposite of selfish is selfless, mm-hmm. not less selfish. Selfless means the center of my world is God. Any measure of selfishness is animal. All selflessness, selflessness that means recklessness and I don't care about myself. All service of Hashem is godly soul. So is the animal soul good or bad? You must understand that people when they use the word bad, they don't conjure up an image of being selfish because we're all selfish. We use the word bad as cruel, as evil. In Kabbalah, bad means self-centered. Is self-centered bad? Self-centered is survival. It's the opposite of God-centered. And those are the two souls. That's how you have to understand it. It's not cruel. It's not cruel. It's not evil. It's animal. It's a kosher animal. That's the abyss. That's the abyss. That's the ugly side of the animal soul. But it's not the nature of the animal soul. It's a symptom. It could use it for good, right? Within so a certain then framework. It good. If you use it for good. Okay, I, I, it's, it, you're asking a complicated question. <laughs> basically, <laughs> basically, the answer to that question is, and basically, of course, is pseudo intellectual. You've heard that from me before. I own the rights to that statement. Basically, pseudo intellectual. Um, um, basically, anything the animal soul does, there's reciprocity. There's something in it for itself. Altruism. Is All a right. characteristic of the godly Maybe soul. Maybe without it, we won't even exist. Pardon? Without it, we won't even exist. We wouldn't survive. I agree. Yeah. So but we it's... have to use it for good. We can use it for good. Okay. Right? I haven't changed my mind. <laughs> I'm just not repeating myself. <laughs> you say that we're all selfish because we all have an animal soul? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. The, the, the possibility for altruism only comes from the godly soul. That's what the Tanya holds. And Tanya means what? Uh, not 
Tanya is, is, is a basic work of Hasidism. The ideas are rooted in Kabbalah. I, 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 I don't want to mislead you. It's not entirely original. But this, the, the discussions that we're having are based on the book of Tanya. How, how does Hasidism differ from Orthodoxy? Orthodox Jews are not necessarily Hasidic. I, I will answer you after class, if that's okay. Right. It's, 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 this is a class in a framework. It's a very broad question. Now, there's one last thing I want to say. Go ahead. I, I do have a burning question, though. Uh, earlier you said that the nature of the animal soul can, can be something like generosity or... Of course. It can be you know, kindness and caring and all this. So, or I, studiousness right, well, and responsibility. Let's say something that we're familiar with, generosity and... Uh, You're not familiar with studiousness, huh? I am. But, <laughs> well, my concern is... You just my, insulted somebody, but go ahead. My concern is um, when you say that we can recognize that the, when, when there's a godly soul by when we think godly thoughts. Now, the difficulty, I think, comes into play when the animal soul exhibits what we would think of as a godly um, tendency, like generosity. or And then how do we know that that's you know, the difference between the godly soul and the animal soul there? The, the answer, basically, and basically pseudo-intellectual, is that when we act kindly in a restrained way, in a limited way, and we, we know our... Of course it's hard, but it's true. We know that we're expressing a part of ourselves that's not a choice, but a nature. Right, but how do we, how do we essentially know that? How do we practically know that, yeah. you mean? If yeah. I, I'm giving you a philosophical answer. You want a practical answer. And yeah. Of course, the practical answer is to give a little more than we'd like to. Okay. Oh, or, or less than we'd like to. I'm sorry? No. It's or less than we'd like to. It comes back to you. If you do, you know, you would say you would do something good, and it comes back to you in another way. And your point? Uh, nothing. The, the godly soul or the animal soul? Well, Who are you trying to support? No, 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 <laughs> okay, now, there's one last thing I want to say. And last time we learned, two weeks ago, and we talked about the godly soul, I talked about Salat. So the class finished. And that is that in godliness, everything is connected. In Klip, everything is disparate. Everything is separate. So if you can recall, two weeks ago... I discussed with you the idea that all souls are interconnected. And souls evolve from one another. Lesser souls come from greater souls. Secondary souls or private souls come from primary souls or for general souls. And I gave you the illustration of the human body. That it begins with one point and then it radiates. Some of it becomes the brain and the heart. Others of it become the intestines, the spleen, the liver, the kidneys. And some become the hair and the nails. So there's, there's numerous cells to the body. Some are primary, some are secondary, some are entirely superficial. And they all come from one single initial point. The same is true of souls. They all come from one core, from one essence. And they evolve. That's why there are so few great souls and so many more ordinary souls. Because on the higher level, things are more unified. And on the lower level, things are more uh, detailed. But in the godly soul model, the souls are interconnected. In the godly soul model, souls are interconnected means every soul is connected to every other soul. Every soul is connected to the soul which is the source of itself. And ultimately it means that every soul is connected to its source, namely God. 
in the animal soul model, since we're dealing with klipa, there's the same evolutionary process. There are greater animal souls and lesser animal souls. And lesser animal souls come from greater animal souls. That's why there are fewer, you know, Einsteins, fewer Newtons than there are. Who's the quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers? <laughs> Good, you know about that. Big, Big Ben. Okay, there are, there are fewer great human beings than there are ordinary human beings, even in the conventional model, not just in a, in a religious model, in a, in a social model. Because greater souls are in a higher level, so to speak, of the evolution of Nishamas, and they're more inclusive. But because we're dealing with Klippa, because we're dealing with the opposite of Kedush, the opposite of holiness, when a soul evolves from its core, from its source, it's separate. The links are severed. The idea of unity in the true sense of the word, in the truly mystical sense of the word, is distinct to Kedush. That's why when you speak about the Jewish godly soul, you talk about the idea of all Jewish souls being connected. And on this basis, the Alter Rebbe rationalizes how loving your fellow exactly as you love yourself is a possibility because you and that other person are one on the level of the soul, but it's only true of the godly soul. The animal soul is separate because that's the nature of animal, that's the nature of klipa, that's the nature of selfishness. Once beings part, once beings become separated, each one becomes an entity unto its own. Which explains a very interesting and familiar Hasidic expression. I think it was the second Lubavitcher Rebbe, the middle Rebbe, who said once that when you're in trouble, spiritually speaking, and you need spiritual support, speak to your friend. Because then you have, quote, two godly souls against one animal soul and two is stronger than one. Oh, so then the question becomes, but if you have two people and two godly souls, don't you have two animal souls? And the answer is, I'm not selfish for you. In the Talmudic expression, people don't sin for other people. So the godly souls, because of the unity that is true in Kedushin, godliness, there's a connectedness. So there's a genuine concern about another person. A selfless concern. A putting yourself in the other person's place concern. The animal souls are separate. And therefore, the, when you employ two people to help a person in a spiritual area, it's only the animal soul of that person that's involved. The other people's animal soul is not interested. Because their selfishness does not extend to the help of another person. So this is, this is the class for tonight. What we've done tonight is created, so to speak, the mirror image, the equal and opposite of the discussion of two weeks ago about the godly soul. The essence of the animal soul is a basic nature. Therefore, the form of the animal soul, it is intellectual and, emotion, and emotional, but the intellect is not truly free. The intellect is bound by the will, by the desire of the animal on a, on a core level, on an emotional level. And the expressions of the animal soul are the thoughts, speeches, and deeds that are not serving God. And the final point that we talked about is that on the level of the animal soul, in the world of the animal soul, souls are all separate. That kind of loyalty that exists in the godly soul does not exist in animal soul. Okay? Does anybody want to say anything? Yes, go ahead. Does that mean that animal soul comes from the world of Toho? All animal souls? Yes. And all godly souls come from the world of Tikkun? That's true. Uh-huh. And one of the distinctions between Toyo and Tikkun is that Tikkun has balance. 
Tikkun has everything. So what did Shmuel say? Wait one second. Wait a second. One second. Because it has everything. Because it has balance. It has freedom. Right. The animal soul comes from Tayyip. It's very, very extreme. But its extreme does not allow for every possibility. Only certain extremes. And therefore it's very strong. Very powerful. Very urgent. But it's not free. You go ahead and ask. What did the Shmuel say? What did Shmuel say when he said that he's a Bahamian? You have to show me the quote, and uh, I'm not worried about it. It doesn't bother me too much. Go ahead. So can the animal soul be changed? Like, can you change the animal soul? Only with the help of the godly soul. The animal soul cannot help itself. The Talmudic expression is, a prisoner cannot release himself from his own incarceration. Right? You, if you're in jail and you're locked in and you have the key, you're not a prisoner. The animal soul is a nature. This nature was imposed upon it by the Creator. It's trapped in that nature. The godly soul is free. The whole purpose of the fusion of the godly soul and the animal soul is that the godly soul should free the animal soul. And that's what we call a tzaddik. One who frees the animal soul. He takes away the natural aspect of the animal soul and allows the godly point to emerge. A bainani harnesses the animal soul. He controls it. He doesn't change it. The tzaddik cracks the shell. God. Is the animal soul uh, motivated by selfishness? For sure. Totally. At its core. Right. And you see, when you come to this class and you sit and you listen, it sounds like Tanya is like so negative. This is basic anthropology. This is the basic definition of a human being. The chiddush of the Tanya is not that people are selfish. <laughs> The Chiddush Atanya that there's a some part of the person which can be altruistic. Because it's assumed if you believe in evolution, if you believe in survival of the fittest, the core of being the most fit is the most self-centered. Whatever scheme you employ, whether it's violence or it's deception or it's... Uh, the bottom line is it's about me. The Tanya is saying that there's a godly soul that can be about not itself, but the truth. And as you indicated, the point is to override the godly soul over the animal soul, to harness the animal soul, and by tzaddikim even to to free them, to make them godly. Selfless. No. What's the difference? The godly soul is, is a uniquely Jewish soul. Of course they have a soul. <laughs> but what would be the difference in the Jewish soul? And, and if Noah was non-Jewish and Job was non-Jewish and Ruth was non-Jewish, then what would be the difference? It's a different kind of soul. A different kind of soul. I'll answer this question this way. Jewish people have 613 commandments. Non-Jews have seven commandments. To be given a commandment by God, which means to have a responsibility to fulfill a commandment, which means, as she said much earlier in the class, if I do it, I'm rewarded, and if I don't do it, I'm punished, is only possible if I have freedom. If I don't have freedom, then I can't be held accountable. Do you understand that, right? You have to have free will. Right. I'm using the word freedom rather than free will on purpose. But I, I mean essentially the same thing. 
The freedom of a Jew extends to the fulfillment of 613 commandments. And the freedom of the non-Jew extends to the fulfillment of his commandment. Seven. That's right. And the seven is actually much more than seven. It's seven categories. It's, it's close to a hundred commandments. It's more than 613 also. Well, that's, better, that's your opinion. <laughs> Go ahead. Conversely, the uh, godly soul is motivated by selflessness. Right. At its core. It's, at its core, it's connected to God, so it's, it so lives self. for God. Okay. 